Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Saturday, December the 30th, 2023. It is currently 2.20 p.m. Central Time, and I am coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Now, I have a Bible in front of me, and it is open to 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, if you can, open a Bible and follow along. If you're listening while you're driving or doing other things, that's okay. Just pay close attention to the reading of the scriptures, because this is a very important passage. 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 1, Paul writing to Timothy, I charge thee, therefore, before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall judge the quick and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. So Paul is charging. He is a, he's, there's, he's giving a charge to Timothy. And that, and that charge is preach the word, preach the word, preach the scriptures, be instant in season, out of season, reprove, rebuke, exhort with all long suffering and doctrine for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but, uh, but after their own lust shall they heap to themselves teachers having itching ears and they shall turn away their ears from the truth and shall be turned unto fables. Paul tells Timothy, look, you preach whether it's in season, popular, out of season, not popular. You just keep doing it. And the time is going to come that they're not going to listen. They're going to turn away and they're going to find teachers who will preach exactly what they want to hear. But you know what? You keep preaching. You just keep preaching. You And guess what? You preach the scriptures. You preach the scriptures. That is what is needed is the preaching of God's word. Now, I have talked a lot in 2023. Well, I can't say a lot. I've talked many times in 2023 about sometimes my struggles and my frustrations, let's say, with the the actual value of the local church, right? I've talked about that, right? We spend all of this money to maintain a building and the, the, you know, electricity and insurance and upkeep. And then we have a staff of who knows, 10, 15 people, five people, four people, whatever your church, the size of your church, the bigger, the more people on staff, the bigger, the bigger, the building, the more upkeep. And you take all of that money and all of that time and all of that energy And we are told over and over and over again that people who will get in their car and actually drive to the church building, if they even bother to show up, you know, to just one, you know, one service a week, most of them will not even attend all the services. But if you can get them there just for one, they they show up for one and study after study demonstrates that they will not even remember the preaching of God's word that was given on Sunday by the following Sunday. They've already forgotten about it. They've already moved on. So it raises questions to me. What's the value in it? What's the point? What's the point in all of this? Why? Why? Well, the, the point ultimately is that's what God tells us to do. He tells us to preach the word tells us to to preach it, whether people are showing up to every service or only one service, whether people are paying attention or not paying attention, whether they remember or don't remember. In fact, the Bible refers to sometimes the foolishness of preaching. It may seem foolish. It may seem like a waste of time. And sometimes it definitely feels that way. 
And I asked a lot of people about preaching on, on the podcast. I did receive a long email from someone who he told me that the preaching and sermons do have a, a major impact on him. And he does remember them. And I'm, and so then I was like, well, it probably comes down to how listeners, what they do with the preaching, what they do with the teaching. Well, we're fast approaching the end of 2023 and 2024. I mean, literally just, just around the corner. I mean, before we know it, we're going to wake up, it's going to be 2024. And we kind of stumbled, or I, I say we, but, you know, everyone who's who listens to this podcast, I kind of group us together as we, that we're all a part of this. We kind of stumbled into what I'm referring to as the Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge, or the uh, more long title, the 2024 Sermons 2.0 App Sermon Challenge. And what I'm challenging people to do is download the Sermons 2.0 app. That's very simple. Go to the Google Play Store, the Apple App Store, look for Sermons 2.0, download it and put it on your mobile device, right? On your tablet, on your phone, wherever, okay? If you don't have a mobile device, go to beta.sermonaudio.com and, well, you can use the, the beta site because it looks a lot nicer than the old one, right? And then you can sign up and you can then keep track of the sermons you're listening to. You can you can subscribe and follow broadcasters and all kinds of different things you can do. I want you to download the app, get used to the website, get used to all the features. I want you to start making good use of it. And then here's the simple part that you do. Each day you wake up and at some point during the day, you open up the Sermons 2.0 app and you choose a sermon as randomly as possible. You can hit the discovery tab and click on newest sermons, pull down, do a refresh and just grab the first one that pops up or just randomly just kind of scroll down and just hit, just hit one. And that's the one you're going to listen to that day. You're not trying to pick out what it's about. You're not trying to uh, pick, pick it based off its title. You want it to be random. And the reason you want it to be random is you want to hear, maybe not hear something that maybe you don't want to hear, maybe something you've never even thought about. And I want you to hear different voices, different perspectives, different the theologies, different hermeneutical approaches, different interpretive skills and styles. And you may, and, and I want you to get something out of it. And then after you listen, I want you to grab a notebook, right? your Sermons 2.0 Sermon Challenge Notebook, and I want you to write down the name of the sermon. I want you to write down the date. I want you to write down the name of the, uh, the church. I want you to write down the text. And then after you listen to the sermon, I want you to write like a one-sentence summary, kind of a, just a, a summary of what you got from the sermon, what the sermon was about. And you just make a list. And by the end of 2024, hopefully you almost have one for every single day of the week. And you have your little summary of what it was about. So you literally will be able to, you know, December of 2024, go, man, I remember that sermon. Or maybe you will remember some of them. Maybe reading the little summary will, will, you'll go, oh yeah, I remember that one. Maybe next to some of them, you put a star or, or a check that you really liked it or an exclamation point. I mean, you can do a little, it's your notebook. And then also in that notebook on the situation, on the times where you have the ability to actually take notes later on in the notebook, you can take notes on the sermon, put a page number, and then go back to the, your list and write the page number next to it so that you know where your sermon notes are for that particular sermon. You can really, you can be creative with, with your notebook and, and by the end of 2024, you'll have all the sermons you listen to just on the Sermons 2.0 app. 
And the reason I, I'm trying to do this, it's not to get people to listen to me. I'm not telling you to go get the app to listen to me. So this is not about increasing my listeners or, or my numbers. This is about getting you it, hearing the preaching of God's word Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and doing so in such a way that maybe you will get something out of it. You will retain it to some level. And the reason I think this is important is I keep saying I believe 2024 is going to be an absolute train wreck. I think it's going to be chaos and confusion and contradiction and division and disunity, and it's just going to be a mess. So while everything is crumbling, falling apart, and plummeting into darkness, we can be hearing the preaching of God's word. And the preaching of God's word, things are supposed to be accomplished, right? It's supposed to be preached whether in season and out of season. And, and it should be, uh, reproving should happen in those sermons. There should be rebuke. There should be exhortation. There should be, and then with all long suffering and doctrine, should, they should be exhorting, not getting tired of doing that. And then there should be doctrine. And it's the preaching of God's word. And we know all scripture is given by God and it is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction, that the man of God may be thoroughly furnished unto every good work. The way you're going to be furnished, the way you're going to be equipped is through the preaching of God's word. The reason that Christ gave the church, you know, offices of preaching and teaching was that you would be made perfect or equipped, lacking nothing, no longer a child tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. It should bring about spiritual stability. It should bring about spiritual understanding. Hopefully it will bring about conviction. Hopefully it will make you be confronted with your own sin and your own failure. and You'll be convicted by that and humbled by that and hopefully become more teachable as a result of it. So I've really been stressing this, this challenge, this challenge, but... I think that there's a problem. I think that there's a problem. Somehow it's built into us. And I cannot speak for those in other countries, but here in America, there's a problem. I think we take things for granted. I think we just don't utilize what we have available to us. We have a, a Sermons 2.0 app has millions of sermons. How many people don't even care? Even if you tell them about the app, they're like, yeah, yeah, whatever. So what? They don't even seem excited about it. You're like, here's an app that has like 2 million sermons. And there's like just this week, I think I'd have to look at the number right now as of yesterday. And just this week, over 4,000 sermons had been added to the Sermons 2.0 app. That's over 4,000 sermons added in one week. It's probably well over 5,000 by now. By, by, the, by midnight tonight, there'll probably be over 6,000 sermons added in a seven-day period. Do you, you couldn't listen to all of them if you want to. And it's like, here's this ocean of of spiritual drink. It's, it's a, it's like a silo of, of spiritual grain. And, and, and we just kind of like, yeah, whatever. I don't care. I don't care. Whatever. I don't, we just take it for granted. And, I, and I've always been baffled by people's response to it. They're like, yeah, whatever. Whatever. What do you mean? Whatever. Do you understand that there would have been people in church history who would be absolutely blown away if they had access to that much teaching and preaching? 
but we take it for granted. There, there's a problem. So it, it, this week, we've, I've, I've done a little bit of reviewing the sermon I've listened to. I was going to do that today. I was going to grab one of the sermons and, and do a little bit of review, and maybe I'll get to that today. It's also Saturday, so I'm trying to do sermon prep, and, and so there's always a million things going on on a Saturday. But this week, in the midst of doing all of this, I kind of threw out an illustration. I threw out an illustration about buffaloes and sermons. Buffaloes and sermons. And I, I felt that it was a very good illustration. It, sometimes, now this is always dangerous, sometimes as a preacher or as a podcaster, you throw out this illustration and you may think it's brilliant, you may think it's insightful, and you may think everyone's going to be blown away with it, and maybe other people don't perceive it the same way. That's, and that's perfectly okay. But this is one of those situations that whether people get it, people don't get it, whether people believe it's a powerful illustration or they believe it's a ridiculous illustration, I'm convinced that there's something to it. So I'm going to double and triple down on it right here, right now. So this story about the buffalo and the sermon, or buffaloes, plural, and sermons, plural, it all began, well, in my childhood. Because we moved from, we moved from Abilene, Texas, to Buffalo Gap, Texas. And I loved growing up in Buffalo Gap, Texas. I really did. I, there was so much about growing up in Buffalo Gap, Texas. I could, I could probably, I literally could probably write a book about it because it's how much I loved it. There was just a, it was almost like this fantasy world for me in Buffalo Gap. And it connected me to, you know, Tom Sawyer, the adventures of Huckleberry Finn in my own mind. But here's a little bit about Buffalo Gap, Texas. Buffalo Gap, Texas is a small town located in Taylor County. Now, when I was growing up in Buffalo Gap, we had population maybe 200 and something. I think at one point it was 189. Uh, then it went to like 240. And then we were really like, we got up to like 289. And like, whoa, we're growing. I think now it's over 300. But it's, uh, I would have to, to look. But I, I still, I, right now from where the studio is located, I'm about 15 minutes from Buffalo Gap. But Buffalo Gap, Texas, okay, is a small town located in Taylor County. It has a rich history closely tied to the buffalo herds that once roamed the area. All right, so there's why it's called Buffalo Gap. All right, the town got its name from a natural gap or pass in the hills that was used by, uh, used by buffalo to migrate through the region. And those hills, we, I mean, to us in West Texas, they, they look like mountains because they seem kind of out of place to everything else. But there are these very large hills. And I, I used to run around there and play all around these large hills, climbing these large hills. And guess what was on top of one of them? Oh, a buffalo herd was there. Okay. Almost got killed by them. But that's a whole different story. That's a whole different story. But the buffalo used those hills to migrate. Now, during the 1800s, Buffalo Gap served as an important stop along the Butterfield Overland Mail Route, which uh, connected St. Louis, Missouri to San Francisco, California. The town became a prominent trading post and provided essential services for travelers and settlers moving westward. 
Buffalo Gap also played a role in the Texas cattle industry. It was a popular gathering point for cowboys and ranchers who were driving their herds to market. Additionally, the area saw some mining activity during the late 19th century, particularly for silver and other minerals. And there was a story of a lost treasure somewhere around Buffalo Gap. And I used to go looking for this lost treasure. I didn't really do much digging, but I just went wandering off into the woods looking for the lost treasure, pretending that I found it like a million times over. Again, I could write books about my growing up in Buffalo Gap, all right? Over time, however, as railroads began to dominate transportation and trade routes shifted, Buffalo Gap's significance declined. Today, it is a small community known for its historic charm and preservation of its Western heritage. The town features several buildings from the late 1800s and the early 1900s that have been restored and converted into shops, galleries, and restaurants. The name Buffalo Gap serves as a reminder of the historical significance of the area and the role it played in the development of West Texas. Yeah, there needs to be dramatic music, right? Now, if you drove through Buffalo Gap, you'd be like, wait, this this is it? Yeah, it, it would not have the same magical feel to you as it did to me. Now, to me, when I drive through it now, it doesn't have the same magical feel because they've done, there's been so many things done to it that it's just like, oh, I wish I could go back and walk down some of those streets that I used to walk down when I was a kid because I I had this had this magical feeling, but those those days are long gone, all right? But Buffalo, 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 because I grew up in Buffalo Gap, okay? Then, and because I went to school in that area, there was lots of discussion about the Native American tribes. In fact, if you drive into Buffalo Gap, what's called the Old Settlers Ground, there are three like historical markers there. There are three of them. And they talk about some uh, b- battles that occurred with the Native American tribes, which Native American tribes were prominent in the area, and their use and hunting of the buffalo. So I heard lots about buffalo. I heard lots about buffaloes. And here's some basic things that I learned about buffaloes. Native American tribes had a deep respect for the buffalo and the importance of sustainable management. They utilized every part of the buffalo to ensure nothing went to waste. Here are some of the steps they took to use every part of the buffalo. Now, I'm going to go through some of these parts. You may find this a little a little too descriptive, but I'm going to go through the things they did so that you have an understanding. They didn't want to waste anything. They had this like great respect for the buffalo, even though they may kill it. To, but they used every part in order to show respect for it. They didn't take it for granted. They didn't waste it. They didn't dr- They didn't walk by and see, oh, here's thousands of buffaloes. Yeah, who cares? I don't care about any of that. Move on to the next thing. No, they would stop and they showed respect and they utilized every single part. Here are some things that they would do. Hunting and respect. Native Americans practice careful and respectful hunting techniques, allowing them to honor the buffalo's spirit and to maintain its population. So they, 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 they would use it, but they wanted to ensure there would be more 
of them. So they were very careful in how they managed it. And they didn't want the buffalo to suffer unnecessarily. They were very respectful. But they wanted it. They wanted to maintain it. They wanted to preserve it. They wanted to ensure there would be more of them. Skinning and butchering. After a successful hunt, they would skin the buffalo and carefully butcher the meat. The meat. The meat was used for immediate consumption as well as preservation techniques like drying or smoking to sustain it for long periods. So they would immediately eat. So when they got the buffalo, they would immediately take the buffalo and use it and and eat the meat. But then they would preserve whatever was left so that it would sustain and they could use it for a long period of time and be sustain themselves by it. It wasn't just eat and throw the rest away. No, how can we preserve it? How can we make this last? The organs, the vital organs, such as the heart, liver, and kidneys were consumed as they provided essential nutrients. Bones, buffalo bones were used for various purposes. They were turned into tools, weaponry, and often used as musical instruments. Hides. Buffalo hides were tanned and used for clothing, covering for teepees, moccasins, bags, and other practical purposes. Sinews. The strong sinews from the buffalo were used for sewing garments and constructing tools and equipment. The horns. Buffalo horns were crafted into spoons, ladles, bowls, and other containers. The bladders and intestines, these were used for food storage containers and as casings for making sausage. Hooves, buffalo hooves were turned into glue or used for crafting items like rattles and utensils. The fat, the fat was rendered into tallow, which could be used for cooking, making candles, or as a lubricant. By utilizing every single part of the buffalo, Native American tribes ensured sustainability, minimized waste. This approach reflected their deep connection with nature and their understanding of the value and importance of all living creatures. They showed their va- the value of it by using every single part. By using every single part, they wanted, they showed respect to it. And I want you to just get that. They used everything. Nothing was wasted. Nothing was taken for granted. Nothing was thrown away. Nothing was was just left to rot. They took that. Please keep that in mind. Please keep that in mind. To build this illustration, I just want to make sure you have that down. Every single thing was used. Everything. I want you to go through everything that was used. Okay, the way they hunted and the respect of the animal and preserved and made sure that there were more skinning and butchering the meat, the organs, the bones, the hides, the sinews, the horns, the bladders, the hooves, the fat. Everything was used and this showed their love and respect. And it was amazing. Now, others came along and did not see the buffalo in the exact same way. They saw the buffalo as expendable or, well, if we get rid of that, then we can control, manipulate, hurt, maybe starve out the Native American tribes. And this became a a deliberate effort to kill off 
the population in order to starve and punish American tribes during the late 19th century. This period is commonly known as the Buffalo Slaughter or the Buffalo Genocide. The United States government and settlers saw the buffaloes as a major obstacle to the expansion of their territory and the subjugation of Native American tribes. The buffalo held great cultural, spiritual, and economic significance for many Native American tribes. They relied on the buffalo for their survival, using its meat for food, its hide for clothing and shelter, and its bones and sinews for tools and other necessities. By dramatically reducing the buffalo population, the U.S. government aimed to undermine the way of life of Native Americans and force them onto reservations where they could be more easily controlled. Hey, wipe out! The buffalo, we can control them. We can force them into a, a reservation. We, we, can, we, can, we can utilize this to our advantage. To accomplish this, various methods were employed, including large-scale hunting, commercial hunting for hides, sport, military campaigns, and the destruction of buffalo herds and their habitats. The goal was to eliminate the primary resource that sustained Native American communities and their traditional economies. The buffalo slaughter had devastating consequences for Native American tribes, leading to widespread hunger, displacement, and a loss of cultural identity. It was a deliberate strategy employed by the U.S. government and settlers to weaken and subdue indigenous people. You take the buffalo, you wipe them out, you destroy them, you make them weak, you can subjugate them, you can do whatever, you, you can manipulate them. During the late 19th century, it is estimated that approximately 30 to 60 million buffalo were killed in North America. 30 to 60 million. Now, I have seen photographs of where they just have, like, you could just look out on a field and there's just dead buffalo everywhere, just slaughtered. And then sometimes they would stack up, you know, the bones of them in these huge piles and there would be pictures of them. And then they, they replicated this and have kind of a, 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 this has kind of been replicated at, um, what's it called? Frontier, Texas, here in Abilene, Texas. It's a museum. And you go in and when you see it, it's insane. It's like this replica and there's all these buffalo bones stacked all the way up to the ceiling. And you just look at it and then they have a whole display there telling you all about it. And you're just like, it's horrible to watch. These people came in and realized, get rid of the buffalo. Get just, just you destroy their identity. You destroy everything. You can control them. You can put them on a reservation. They can, you destroy everything about them. The mass slaughter of the buffalo population had a significant impact on Native American tribes who were dependent on them for their sustenance and way of life. The decimation of the buffalo herds played a crucial role in the subjugation and forced assimilation of indigenous people during the period in American history. Now, because I have such a connection to all of that only in the sense because I grew up in Buffalo Gap, Texas and heard all the stories about the Buffalo. And right there, there's a historical marker in the very town, in the very area that I used to play all the time, right there telling me about what happened. Um, and in Frontier, Texas, which is a museum, not probably about 10 to 15 minutes from my house. Um, once again, I've been there multiple times and have seen the display and just have always just touched emotionally by it. It's a powerful, powerful thing. Now, as Christians, as the church, we're supposed to be preaching 
the word of God. We're supposed to be preaching. And I think the preaching, the teaching of God's word, in a sense, is like the buffalo. The buffalo, the preaching, it is to sustain us. It is to feed us. In fact, there in a part, it's a part of our identity as Christians to hear the word of God preached. We should desire it. We should love it. And it's through the preaching of God's word that we're supposed to be equipped so that we cannot be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine. It is through the preaching that we are supposed to be learning and growing so that we cannot be manipulated. It's the learning and growing that we cannot be deceived. It's the learning and growing so that we cannot be subjugated. It's the learning and, t- and the learning of God's word that we cannot be, that we will not be controlled by anything else and that our way of thinking is biblical and not fleshly. The way of thinking is counterculture because our identity is in a sense the word of God. In a sense, as Buffalo was so important to the Native American tribes, preaching and teaching should be that important to a Christian. It should have a direct correlation. And if you can remove the Buffalo, boom, you destroy the Native American tribes. If you can remove the preaching and teaching, you can destroy in many senses the Christian identity. And then we don't think like the world. We don't think like Christ. We think like the world and we become subjugated by wrong ideas. We become hijacked by political ideologies. Instead of being captured by the word of God, we're captured by those who have destroyed the preaching of God's word. Now, for me, the way the preaching of God's word is destroyed is not so much by outside forces coming in and like they did with the buffalo slaughtering them. I think what has happened is those sitting in the pew who receive the word of God, it's like we receive the buffalo and then we take the buffalo and we're like, eh, yeah, whatever. And we just leave it in the parking lot of the church. We just leave it to rot. We don't take any of it. We don't take one part. We don't even try to use all of the buffalo. We don't even care. We, we forget that the buffalo even in a sense died that morning. We don't even, by the time, by the time we even get home, we're already talking about other things, fighting with our spouse, arguing with the kids. The sermon is long gone. Two weeks later, you can say, Hey, what about that sermon? And then when you realize you've got millions of sermons available to us, we shrug our shoulders. I'm like, well, I've got better things to do. I don't care. I don't care. And even if we do listen to it, we're like, well, I don't know if I really like that. Turn that one off. Next one. I don't know if I really like that one. Stop. Next one. Ah, yeah, whatever. I'll go do something else. We take it for granted. We've got, in a sense, millions of buffaloes. Do we care about preserving it? Do we care about encouraging it to ensure that there's more of them? We don't, in many cases, we don't support. We don't encourage Oh, we will complain, we will criticize, we will judge. Just as the Native Americans respected, loved, and used every aspect of the buffalo, as believers, we should respect, love the preaching of God's word, and try to utilize every single part of preaching. All of it. And that's what we're trying to accomplish in this sermon's 2.0 challenge is that every single day you, you don't get to pick and choose. You just get the sermon. You just randomly pick a sermon and then whatever you get, you get, but learn how to use all of it. Learn how to use it. Don't just take it and just throw it to the side and let the corpse of the sermon just rot. Take it. Do something with it. 
Learn to. Like if we just look at the basic elements of a typical sermon, the basic elements of a typical sermon. All right, basically you typically have an introduction. The sermon usually begins with an introduction that grabs the attention of the audience and provides some context for the sermon's to- uh, topic. It offers the hypotheses. It offers the thesis. It offers the basic thing it's going to be about. So you, you could just stop right there. Okay, what, what, what was the topic? What was the thesis of this sermon? Even if you disagree with everything in the sermon, every, even if you don't agree with one thing in the sermon, you don't like his preaching style, you don't like his volume, you don't like his approach, you don't like his interpretation, you're going to tell me you can't take that introduction and do something with it? You can write down the hypotheses. You can write down the thesis and say, here's what he presented. Now, here's my study today and my approach. That means you're still utilizing the introduction. When a ser- when you're done listening to a sermon, could you identify the introduction? Could you identify what the basic hypothesis was? Could you identify what the basis- basic thesis was? If you did, it's because you didn't even bother to drag the carcass of the buffalo into your car and drive with it. You left it. You're like, kids, kids, get in the car. Leave it out there to die. We don't care. We don't care. We got better things to do. What's for lunch? So there's the introduction. You can do something with the introduction. Scripture. There's going to be some scripture read. There's going to be some scripture referenced. Right? There's going to be some. So even if you don't like the sermon, what was the scripture? Now you can sit and argue and complain about the sermon, or you can take all the scripture and do something with the scripture. What did you do with the scripture? Did you feed upon it? Did you meditate on it? Did you look it up again? Did you reference it? Did you talk about it? Did you do anything with the scripture? Anything. Yeah, yeah, you complained about the pastor. You complained about what he believed. You complained. You criticized. You're whatever. Great. Congratulations. (laughs) Wonderful. Did you do anything positive with the introduction? And did you do anything with the actual scripture? God's word was read. God's word is powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. Did you do anything with it? It is your milk. It is your meat. Do you even remember the scripture that was preached on two weeks ago, three weeks ago, four weeks ago, five weeks ago? Sometimes I've been, (laughs) sometimes I've been confronted with this as a pastor where you've been in the same book for like two years. You're like, okay, everyone, what book are we in? And then people are looking around like they don't know. I'm like, you know, the book we've been in for two years. Does anyone even remember? Like sometimes you just want to scream, like, is anyone paying attention? But the parking lot is filled with the carcasses of dead buffalo because they just left him there to rot. So there's the introduction. There's the scripture. Third, there's the exegesis, right? This is the process where in the sermon, and to some level, there was an examination and interpreting of the biblical text. They were, maybe they explored its historical and cultural context. Maybe they explained the meaning. Maybe they tried to apply it to present day. There was something happened in the exegesis. What was the exegesis? What was the exegesis of the text? Can you summarize the exegesis? Now, even if you disagree with it, you've got their summary and then you can go, okay, here was their summary. Uh, or here's the summary of their exegesis. Now, here's what they thought. Hmm, I could think this. And it's not even about criticizing. You're not criticizing. You're going to take it and say, I'm going to partake of it. I'm going to turn it into something else. Just like the Native American tribes took every part of the buffalo, you're taking another part of the buffalo. I'm like, I'm going to, I'm going to turn this into something beneficial. I'm going to turn this into a meal. I'm going to turn this into a, 
whatever. You can liken it to all the different ways they use the buffalo. That's why I spent all of the time building that part of this illustration. Can you identify what the introduction was? You should be able to identify the text. And what was the basic summary of the exegesis that was offered? Even if you want to accuse it of being eisegesis, just what did they do with the text? Next, I, I can almost guarantee you that in the sermon, there's going to be at least a, a number of main points and maybe some sub points. What were the main points of the sermon? What were the sub points? What were, what were the points? You can take those points, whether you agree or disagree with them. You can do something with them. You can turn it into something spiritually beneficial. You can say that point was very convicting. That point was very confusing. Now you can take those points. And again, all you've got to do is sit down a little bit, spend a little time with them. And I'm, I'm sorry, you should be able to get something from it. Many times the pastors will offer some form of supportive. So you have the introduction, the scripture reading, the exegesis, the main points, and sometimes there'll be some kind of supporting evidence. The preacher may use various forms of supporting evidence, such as additional Bible verses, stories, anecdotes, historical facts, personal experience, to reinforce the main points and make them relatable to the congregation. Was there any kind of supportable or some supporting evidence that was offered? And what was that supporting evidence? Did it help? Did it clarify? Even if you felt that maybe it wasn't very helpful, maybe there was something about that supporting evidence, even though in the flow of the sermon, it may have not worked. You got something from it. You can turn it into something. And then last, you have application. Or not last, next to last, or not, there's about two more, I think, points we'll go with. Application. What was the application? How did they apply it? What was the application? Did any of that application challenge you? Even if you disagreed with a lot of it, you can either sit there and complain and complain and complain, or you can be like, oh, okay, okay, he applied this in three ways. Oh, boy. All right. I do know I need to do this. Or What did you do with the application? Illustrations. Was there an illustration that was used that really stood out? What could you do with the illustration? Did it challenge you to think about something differently? Did it challenge you to look something else? Did you agree or disagree with the illustration? And then conclusion. The sermon uh, it, the sermon concludes by summarizing the main points and restating the central message. The preacher may also offer final thoughts, encouragement, or a call to action for the congregation. What was the conclusion? Did you get anything from the conclusion? Were you moved by it, confronted by it, or convicted by it? In other words, you can break a sermon down into these points. Let me go through these points again. You've got the introduction. You've got the scripture. You've got the exegesis. You've got the main points. You've got supporting evidence. You've got uh, application. You've got illustrations. And you've got conclusion. Now, not every sermon will have all of those parts, but you should be able to break down enough of it that when you get home, you're like, okay, kids, let's unload the buffalo and I'm going to spend some time today and this week taking this buffalo apart and I'm going to get something out of this. I'm going to make use of this. Now, you can't make everyone else in the car do that. You can't make your spouse. You can't make your kids. But you worry about yourself. So it's Saturday, December the 30th. Last Saturday or or last Sunday, a sermon was preached. Where's the buffalo today? 
Come on, be honest. Where is it? Where is it? Can you break any of those things down about the sermon that was preached last Saturday or last Sunday? Come on, anything. Can you tell me anything about it? Or if you're honest, you did not even bother to load up the buffalo into the car. And so the buffalo is laying in the parking lot of your church, just rotting. And you'll add another carcass this Sunday. And then you'll add another one the following Sunday. And you'll go through 2024 just loading up the parking lot with dead carcasses of dead buffalo because you didn't bother to take them home and to do anything with them. Now, you may complain about the sermon. You may complain about the preaching all you want. But in some cases, instead of complaining, maybe you look in the mirror and ask what you're doing with the preaching that you do have. Because, again, you have the Sermons 2.0 app on your mobile device. That's thousands of sermons being added per week. Hundreds, if not a thousand per day being added. One after another, after another, after another, after another. And many of them are preached. And guess what? We don't, the, the average Christian, we still take it for granted. We don't think, oh, what can I do to preserve that? What can I do to encourage that? What can I do to ensure there'll be more of it? How could I provide for it? How could I sustain it? And you don't even care. You just take it for granted. You're just like, give me another sermon. Give me another sermon. I don't like that one. 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 I don't like anything. If you do it my way. And you just become a self-centered jerk. The putting together of a sermon requires work and effort and time. And you benefit from it. But you would only, you really benefit if you actually take it like the Native American tribes did the buffalo. They respected it. They did everything they could to preserve and make sure there was more of it so that they would have a lifetime of buffalo to sustain them. Well, you want to ensure you have a lifetime of messages to sustain you. Now, you so take them for granted, you just, you just don't even care. You're like, whatever, whatever. You're not going to take your time to support or to even encourage. Well, you're going to wake up one day and maybe all the buffalo are gone. Because if you go to Buffalo Gap, Texas today... There's no buffalo roaming around. Now, I have not been to the top of the hills right there because remember, buffalo is like a little gap, a valley between these hills. Um, there's only one hill there that I think there could be any possible buffalo uh, buffalo on, but I think they've been removed. I think all, whatever buffalo was up there are gone because I think there are houses up there now on top of those hills. Buffalo were probably long gone. Probably not a buffalo anywhere near Buffalo Gap anymore. Probably gone. There was a time there were thousands, thousands. They're gone. Now, right now, you've got millions and millions and millions of sermons to choose from. But you know what? Who cares if you have millions of them? If you neglect them and don't do anything with them. Now, I'm just as guilty as you are. I'm just as guilty as you are. So 2024, we are creating, we've kind of, and look, this was not even planned. I had plenty of other plans for 2024. We kind of just fell into this. I don't even remember how I fell into this. I don't even remember how I stumbled upon this idea. I really don't. It just kind of naturally occurred. But 
You got the Sermons 2.0 app? Down, if you don't, download it. And then every day you just wake up, you'll just go to the Discover tab, just random. You just want random. You don't want to even try to look. Just pick a sermon and you hit play. And whatever you get is whatever you get. You write down the name of the sermon, the date, the scripture, the name of the church. Then write out just a little summary of what you got from it, what you learned, what it was about. You can take note, notes in it in your notebook. You can put the page number of those notes next to the, your list. And then hopefully by the end of 2024, you're going to have this notebook filled. In fact, I have mine right here. I think this is mine right here. Yes. Uh, nope. That's the Bible quiz notebook. Here it is. The Sermons 2.0 app challenge. Here they are. Now, is that going to make me more spiritual? Not saying it will be. Going to be more godly? Not going to even claim that. But I know preaching is what God calls the church to do. Now, I know this. I will only get out of it in a sense what I put into it. You can have a thousand buffalo in the field behind your home and still starve to death if you don't go out there and utilize every aspect of it. You literally can have an app on your device that has millions of sermons available to you 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And it will be of no value unless you tap on it, hit play, and utilize every part of what is presented. Now, I tried to do a little demonstrating of this yesterday. We took one message and did over two hours of broadcasting about it, and we didn't even review the entire sermon. Now, you can tell me your thoughts. News, if at yahoo.com. That's news, if at yahoo.com. News, if at yahoo.com. If you're ever in the Abilene, Texas area, stop by Frontier, Texas, see that museum, and then you can drive to the historical village in Buffalo Gap, Texas. Uh, there's a little like museum there. Or you can just drive through Buffalo Gap and you can be like, oh, this is that place. And maybe when you think about Buffalo, you'll think about sermons. And hopefully, you'll participate in the challenge. And hopefully, all of us will be somewhat successful in the challenge. It's easy to be excited about it on December the 30th. I don't know what we'll be saying come February 2024. March, May, April, June, July, August, September, October, November. And we'll be there at the end. Before you know it, 2024 will be like, then we'll be looking at 2025. And then before you know it, it'll be gone. Or before you know it, we won't, it won't be here anymore. We, we will have passed away. But preaching seems to be important to God. Maybe we should show reverence and respect for it 
as the Native Americans showed reverence and respect to Buffalo. They showed reverence and respect to that which sustained them physically. Preaching seems to be a critical part in sustaining us spiritually. Something to think about. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com. I know this is like the third time I kind of wrapped it up. Newsif at yahoo.com. Newsif at yahoo.com. It's one of those situations where you so want people to get it that you don't know if you got it across. So you just kind of want to circle back around and repeat something again and then circle back and repeat it again because you're like, I hope someone got it. I don't know if anyone got it, but I did what I could. You can do what you want with it. Thanks for listening. Everyone have a great day. God bless.